Well, there's a lot to cover today. We've had a couple of car season launches from three different teams. And I know that there's uh, quite a few changes to the regulations you wanted to cover, as well as the actual criteria that the FIA put forward for new teams entering the sport. So where did you want to dive in? Hey, Matt, how you doing? Hey. I wanted to go over, I think what might be interesting to start with, and it's not, has nothing to do with the specifics themselves, but I think it might be interesting to start with the requirements of a new team that wants to approach the FIA, you know, to enter Formula One. Interesting. Yeah, I actually hadn't heard anything about this. So what you got? Well, here's the interesting thing and, and see what you think about this. I, I don't know that this process was specifically set out in writing previously and I have a feeling it might not have been because they've released the requirements. And so, uh, and, and this was done by, you know, uh, Mohammed bin Salim. Okay. We'll just call him Ben. Sure. <laughs> so Ben set these out because, or Mo or whatever we want to call him, but, um, <laughs> but he, but he set them out and this follows on the heels of all the teams complaining about team Andretti wanting to come into the sport. Right. So I'm thinking, Okay, maybe his, maybe they go, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? So maybe he thought, okay, we need an official process for any team who's going to enter the sport and we'll spell it out. And then they'll simply go through that process and we'll have to address them at a different level instead of just people complaining about it in a meeting of like a team meeting. Right. And that was the other thing that was kind of weird about the whole Andretti situation is it seemed like... And, you know, journalists will sensationalize things, sure, but it did seem like the FIA or whomever or the teams just kind of kept moving goalposts on Andretti. They were just like, yeah, you've got to have this. Mm -hmm. And then Andretti met that. And they're like, no, but you also need this. And then he met that. And they're like, no, but you also need this. And it's just like, all right, enough, guys. And so right. maybe and, that's... And one of those was huge. It was like total wolf in this, I, not to pick on Mercedes, but it's because he's the one that did it. And he may have been reflecting the opinion of others when he said it. Sure, but, yeah. But but what he said was, well, you're not, you're, as far as engine development, you know, you don't, you haven't, you're not saying who you're backed by, you know. Mm. You know, you need to be backed by an right. existing engine manufacturer. And, and so then they come out and say, hey, Cadillac is going to, GM Cadillac is going to support us. Mm -hmm. And then... And then they're like, we still don't think it's a good idea. Right. <laughs> right. So, so where does it end? And right? it's like, no matter what Andretti does, yeah, we have the money. Yeah, we have the experience. So to, right. to, to move forward here, and I thought this was interesting because I thought, hey, you and I should do this just for the heck of it. The, the, the first step for a prospective team that, want to, that wants to... You know, br bring a new team into Formula One is you simply send an email to the FIA. <laughs> oh, I got to pull up my email then. What what do I got to say to them? It, <laughs> well, well, hold on before you do because you'll need your checkbook as well. So, oh but, darn. But, okay. But when I first when I first discovered this, you know, the the first step is you send an email to the FIA in, informing them of your expressed intent to join Formula One, but. You also have to give them, there's a few things that go along with it. And one of those is a, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement with them and you have to give them a check for $20,000 for them to verify some, oh, of the, man. some of the requirements. It's like, man, I'm already halfway through drafting my email. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I told you to get your checkbook first. You can finish it. You just, you just need to include a check for $20,000. Yeah. No, that's, that's probably good. Or you literally would get people like us emailing them and they're just like, well, if you're going to waste our time, at least pay us first. <laughs> right. So I get it. I get it. And, the, and when, what I thought was interesting was you need a cover letter introducing the candidate. So okay. this is very much kind of like a resume. Sure, yeah. And then you need the candidate's full contact details. Sure. 
And then company details, including addresses. And then they also want the articles of association or incorporation, depending on, you know, the details of your country. But basically how your company is set up. Okay. And they want the identity of all shareholders. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, which is kind of interesting if you think about Audi or Porsche coming into it, because... Audi's held by the Volkswagen Audi Group. Yeah, so in that case, they would just, I don't think they would name the individual people, but they might name the majority stakeholders or something like that. You know? Sure, okay. But in other companies like Andretti Inc., there's going to be a limited number of shareholders, you know, because right. they're incorporated, but the shares are held privately. So basically, they're, they're wanting to know who's behind the company, you know, right. who owns it, who's behind it, that sort of thing. Yeah, fair enough. And then they want what they call a CV or a curriculum vitae, which, you know, even here in America, you create one of these for higher level jobs. Okay. For each director and officer of the candidate. So a CV or a, or a curriculum vitae is basically, it's it's more than a uh, what you would create in a uh, resume. It's more of a story of your life you know like you've okay here's here's i've been in the industry this long and i've been i've done this and i work for these teams and here here were some goals i achieved you know it's more of a so why why would they want all of the the backstory of every like why would they care that much for all of that personal information well the fact this is what's interesting to me is the whys we can speculate about but the interesting part to me is they do so, and this is why I thought it would be, be worth adding to our podcast, because I don't think the average F1 fan would assume that it was this detailed, because I didn't either. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a lot of information that they want. Well, and they clearly want, I think what it is, is they're vetting the, everybody involved in any team that comes into Formula One. Formula One is big enough now. Mm-hmm. And this is true in the entire world of professional sports right now. Is it's big enough, and and if you were to get somebody that was a you know like a higher up in a team that had some strange background for some reason or something that you know went against some of the principles of the FIA, and mm. it, and it and it came out you know later on, it would create. I think they're trying to avoid any potential you know, like scandal. And it's like, well, why are you letting this guy in there? He was, a, he's been accused of abusing three different women, you know? Right. Right. And, yeah. Okay. And and they're just trying now, now that's an extreme example, but it could be that it's it, perhaps so they can demonstrate that the team that's coming into it really needs to have their act together. Yeah. And, and you need to exist. Well, a, a potentially more common occurrence could be that, there was some kind of a guy who's associated with that company who's applying, who's done some shady business practices in the past. And if they see that, they could be like, well, because of this guy, we're not so sure about you or something. So, Well, and, and that has happened, yeah. obviously, that they got into that with the owner of Force India. Right, right. Yeah. And, and also Flavio Briatore that they banned from F1 for life, you know, sure. <laughs> the and he was the the team principal for Benetton back in the day. Yeah. He's an interesting character. Yeah. I'm still waiting on our podcast where we'll go through him. Cause like that would be quite something. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's one of the, I think he was the first of Heidi Klum's husbands. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Believe it or not. But he, this guy's been married to like five different models or 10 or who knows how many, but sure, but he's an interesting guy. And so then they want the information on the candidate's relevant experience and capabilities in the automobile and or motorsport sector, including technical expertise, racing expertise, their facilities, their equipment, and their engineering resources. So they want you to, they want to know that you actually are capable of competing in the sport. Right, right. And then it says here the FIA will supply any any suitable candidates the requirements for a full entry application by February 17th at the latest. So this is, it is new. And this is going out to any teams that are currently considering joining the sport. Interesting. And then, of course, there there's an initial, and this has been increased. Initially, if you remember... The Andretti team agreed to put up $200 million, Uh which was the entry fee. Well, now it's $300 million. Right. 
So you have to be able to prove that you can you can support three hundred million, of which the twenty thousand dollars may be deducted. So if you put up the twenty thousand for them to go through your all your statistics and do the background check sure. on you and your people, and you join the team, they'll subtract that twenty thousand from the three hundred million, and then right. you're only you're only paying at that point, you know. Two hundred ninety-eight million, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, nine hundred, blah blah blah. So, right. <laughs> and basically, there's very few teams that are going to be able to fulfill this requirement. However, right. comma Andretti Racing, and of course, I'm calling them Andretti Global because Michael says that's what they're going to rebrand themselves if they get into it. Right. But uh, and Andretti Global can fulfill this, and there's very few that can. So I think this is what Ben Salim did. The FIA president, yeah, is he just goes okay? I'm going to write down all the stipulations for any team, yeah, and and then anybody who fulfills this is a serious candidate and has to be taken seriously. Yeah, I think that's actually really good because Andretti does meet all of that. He it was it was a loophole. I think he found something in. They actually found an area the FIA had not created regulations around. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that, that deserves a medal in and of itself, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> he says. He says tongue in cheek. Okay. Yeah. So it it continues. So they want to know about, and this is the following criteria in addition to all that background stuff: the technical ability and resources of the team. This is what they're trying to assess: mm-hmm. the ability of the team to raise and maintain sufficient funding to meet its financial obligations and be competitive. And that's an interesting thing. They're yeah. not they're actually not wanting these tiny little teams that may not be there more than a year or two to come in. Right. They actually want a team that has a chance of being around, you know, of being competitive and being in there for the long haul, which mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting because that is a change from the past. Well, true. And I think to their credit, that's kind of what a lot of the I mean, there's some aspect of the motivation from the teams is we don't want the competition because then that's less for us. Right. right. But it, to be fair to the kind of bigger picture, I imagine a lot of these teams and maybe even the FIA at this point, like that's exactly what they want. They don't want a team to show up put up all this money, make a big show and be gone in three years. They want a team that's going to stick around and, and grow the formula one brand, so to speak. Yes. And if anything, I think that particular line that I just read. Yeah. Is, is the defense of a team like Andretti. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and I had heard other teams say, well, you know, why don't we have some smaller guys come in? And I think that good old, Good old Ben just regulated them out of that argument. Yeah. So I think that's what that was specifically intended to kind of quelch that. Yeah. Okay, moving on. The ability of the team to meet and comply with its obligations under the F1 sporting technical and financial regulations. In other words, they have to be able to live live up to existing regulations. Sure. And then they need, and this is good. I love this. They need a detailed five-year business plan for the first okay. five years of the of the project. Now, you know, I went to business school. I know that that they say that most small businesses fail, and most of those fail because they didn't have a five-year business plan. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you actually need to show, you know, because it's known, like, if you start a small business, you commonly aren't going to have any profit for the first two or three years. Sure. But at some point, you have to be profitable because we all have bills to pay. Right. And right. and you need to know what that is going into it. Because if your personal requirements are, I need to be profitable in six months, but yet a reasonable business plan says it's going to take you three years. Don't don't waste your money on the business. It's not going to work. But if you can go three to five years without income, then you can build a business, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, so they want to know that these guys can handle that, which is, again, to show that they're financially established. Mm-hmm. And then they want to know about the team's experience capa- and capabilities in the automobile and motorsport se- sector. And, and they, of course, that includes the technical experience, racing experience, facilities, equipment. Like, do you have a factory? You know, what do you got? Where, where are your buildings? Your engineering resources. And then the relevant staff, you know, like the number of people, the headcount, and their experience. Okay. So, in other words, 
foundationally, if we let you in, are you ready to hit the ground running? Are you going to have to hire a bunch of people? Right. Like if you say on that that you only have 100 employees, they're going to be like, well, then why are you applying? Because all of these teams have five yes. to a thousand, 500 to a thousand employees, right? And yeah, it's something above 100, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the question. They know intuitively, and this is probably also... Think about, again, why Mercedes was so strongly against Andretti. Mercedes has been pilfered of people in the last few years. Oh, true. And so if they, they probably thought, if I think Andretti probably has more money, and that's what scared them. Mm. Um, they've been at this for a long time, and they've been successful. Mm -hmm. And they probably thought, oh, they're going to they're gonna be pilfering people from us, and we can't afford to lose anybody else. And yeah. everybody wants to join the new exciting thing, you know. And that is that is going to be an issue for Red Bull, for Ferrari, for, Absolutely, the, yeah. for the top teams. Yeah. And there will be some people moving over to Andretti from other teams. And I'm sure that Michael is already making phone calls to people. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah. So, you know, so this is kind of a counterbalance to where the FIA is recognizing, you know, we don't want you coming into this sport if you're going to have to decimate the existing teams. This is probably a nod to some of the complaints that the teams brought up. That That's why I wanted to talk Which about this. I think it's fair. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you think about that, but I, I think that's fair. I think it's like you, you deserve, you, you gain the right to poach from other teams after you've com you've shown that you actually have a viable functioning team. Like, I don't think it's fair for a team to just show up and year one, they're hiring from, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari. I don't think that's really fair. Well, well, I think, I think with the, you know, like I assume like, in, like here, then in other countries you have, um, you know, kind of a free will employment situation you sure. know, where, where you're, you know, if you don't perform, you're released from your job and you're not, contracted for you know the drivers are but there's probably very few people that are contracted for a number of years sure uh, except the highest levels but um but i think i think what they want to know is that you're not going to have to do that not that you won't do it but but that you won't that you'll be able to come in without doing it okay. now they can't tell you not to do it and it may happen and probably will to some degree but they probably want to know that you're strong enough to come in as is Without having with with you know maybe a minimum of that, and so that that's the most they can do to put the other mm. teams at ease, because at any point in time somebody could leave Red Bull or Mercedes or Ferrari, you know. So and that right now they've been just swapping people between each other, and so I I can kind of see now why these teams were complaining, but they didn't want to voice the actual complaints. That's why they were kind of hemming and hawing about why they, mm. but you just knew they were unhappy. This is totally conjecture on my part, but I have a feeling I'm kind of in the right direction. There. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah, I think, I think the takeaway that I'm getting from all of this is that the FIA wants to be 100%, not 99%, not 85%, 100% sure that whoever they're going to seriously consider joining the, the uh, joining F1 that that team is actually fully capable of performing and competing and being self-sustaining. Right. That's what I'm getting from this. And I think that's, you know, absolutely fair enough. You yeah. know, and there's no weird history that they're going to be saddled with down the road. Right. Like right. That. Okay. Yeah. So moving on, there were a few other things like uh, they want to know, they wanted to be able to determine whether the team and all the individuals, that are proposing to participate in ownership, control, and management of the team are fit and proper persons. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so it, it fit, not meaning physically, but just yeah, this, yeah. this is what we were getting at a minute ago. Now, a proper person, <laughs> quote unquote, you know, that, there's things I like about that definition and there's things I have questions about. With that, yeah. With that, you know, like for example, that could really change based on strange things like a prevailing political attitude. That's true. That's true. It, it, you know, like let's just say this was 1930. Let's say Germany had been successful in World War II. Well, right. the definition of a proper person would be certainly different than it would now. Right. So. Yeah. So that that's a that's fair. I I do think though they kind of had to leave it kind of as a loose definition. Because yes. then them be that gives them more power. Because if they define what they specifically what are looking is. at, no. right? 
then they're locked into that. And so, well, yeah, and I, I kind of think like, I, I agree with the technical part. I agree with the financial part. Sure. I sure. agree with everything else. And I certainly agree with doing a, you know, like a background check to make sure you don't hire felons or people, yeah, that are, absolutely. you know, guilty yeah. of, uh, you know, crimes or something, you know, like crimes against other humans. But sure. But if proper gets into the realm of somebody's personal beliefs, their religion, their their, their yeah. political affiliations, and I just think at that point, I don't know that I like the FIA defining what a proper person is, but they're certainly entitled to do it. You know, it's, yeah. this is this is their wheelhouse. It's what they do. But you know, there's people that I I don't think, you know, I think these days like. I do love the idea of freedom of speech. I think it's a, you know, without getting political, but I think it's it's something that's important, and it, you know, we're, it's nothing we'll ever talk about, but you know, it's something people can study the history of it. But it, these days, the safest thing to do is to not exercise freedom of speech in certain areas of life and experience, you know, out of fear of either you know, offending somebody now or 20 years in the future when, if, if views change, you know, like somebody yeah. could, if you express the prevailing, the prevailing view now in 20 years, that might be the, 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 the view people don't like. Can you get canceled for that view? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you know, that, those things tend to go back and forth, you know? And so I just kind of find that I hope it doesn't include too much of that. I hope it's just the common sense things, but yeah, you know, that, that that's my only concern with it. I, I share that concern to a certain extent, but at the same time, like, like I said, it, they kind of need to define it in that way, regardless of any of the rest of it, just because then yeah. they keep the control over who they let in. Oh, so. I, I agree. I just, I just yeah. hope they don't like overdo it in that area. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so continuing on, uh, the next thing was basically um, there's considerations for sustainability and EDI, which is something that's kind of new around the world. Yeah, what is EDI? What does that mean? Stands for Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion. And and it says EDI and Social Benefit. So it says they want to investigate your your considerations of sustainability and then equality, diversity, inclusion, and social benefit. So that is somewhat political uh, and they just want to, they kind of want to know where you stand on things. We'll just leave that for what it is. I don't really know. There's no more detail than that. Uh, Obviously the FIA has a position on all those things and whoever, I assume whoever comes into the sport needs to reflect the FIA's views on that, or at least not openly contradict them. Yeah. All I'll say on that is it strikes me as buzzwords and lacking full definitions. Like we were just saying about the other thing Yeah. um, about what proper person means. It's like, they're not defining this and those are buzzwords. And so I wonder what that actually means. So yeah, whatever. It probably means that, uh, you know, that you're not discriminating in the workplace, you know, sure. due to uh, yeah. the obvious list of things we won't go into, but yeah, um, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. And then number eight was the FIA's assessment of the value that the candidate may bring to the championship, including consideration for of its reputation and integrity. Okay. Yeah. They just don't want, they want to make sure you're not going to ruin their reputation. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are the requirements. Uh, That's the money. I think you can handle the 20 grand, the 300 million. If you can handle that, we need to talk after we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I may have just won the lottery for all you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we need to talk. It's like, hey, don't forget your Uncle Dan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, So that's interesting. See, listening to all of that, like Andretti meets all those requirements. Why are they not being strongly considered? Why aren't well, they? Well, I think this is where that's kind of what I was laughing at when I read this. It's like, oh, thank you, Ben. Yeah. You just created a structure that Andretti and very few other teams that I'm aware of, except for like Porsche, you sure. know, they, yeah. they, they want into the team, which is something else we should talk about. But, but to finish this point, Andretti is a team that I see no reason um, why. You know, if it, you know, 
because the you know like the indie sports all motorsports in america from you know these other positions of like you know diversity and equality and all that they're all about the same as the fia so i don't see any reasons why andretti motorsport they have facilities they have a large number of people yeah. that work for them yeah um, they build their indie cars so i i think they're it would be hard to compete with Andretti. I don't know of anybody that's more qualified than them that isn't currently in Formula One. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. So I think what Ben did is he goes, okay, all right, fine, you guys. You want to complain about this? Let's codify it. These guys will f- fulfill it. And now nobody but a team like them will be able to get in. So yeah. thank you very much. So I, and again, as I said I kind of joked about, you know, the, um, you know, when for a brief period of time, people tried to make the Andretti thing, the, the is Hamilton going to retire, you know, story of 2023 <laughs> and to get some mileage out of it in the off season. But I went, eh, you know, this is all, this is all hype. They will make it in eventually, you know, yeah. probably sooner than later. They may get some more roadblocks, but they'll, they'll be in eventually. I- exactly. And when I read this, I go, oh, this almost ensures they're going to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. One last, one last point before we're going to move on that I, I kind of mentioned that a second ago. Sure. Porsche has made all sorts of indication that they are also planning on entering Formula One probably in 2026. Now, as a new team? As a new team. Oh. Well, either a new team or buying, you know, Audi's bought Sauber or right. a controlling interest, you know, and then eventually those teams will be running Audi engines and then they're, and then Porsche wants to come in and they obviously huh. are very involved in motorsports yeah, yeah. In, in around the world and different things. But the, what's interesting to me about all of this is that the Volkswagen Audi group owns all three of those, yeah. <laughs> all three of those marquees. So yeah, it's almost like you're having two different, I'm wondering, here's what I'm wondering, are they going to have completely different engine facilities or does that mean that Audi and Porsche will, will be sharing technology? I mm. don't know what that means. You know, okay, so two things come to mind here. The first thing is I seem to remember a conversation around this from several months ago that the the thought from the uh, officials at the Volkswagen Audi group that they would want to keep them independent. I don't know mm-hmm. how much stock that has, so, you know, it might be completely wrong. But that, I remember hearing that in the news. But the other thing that I'm thinking of, that's probably why or at least a lot of the reason or some of the reason why Red Bull didn't want to partner with Porsche because they knew Audi was coming in as a separate team and they didn't necessarily want that potential leakage of information. So that's interesting. It, it, it definitely could be so interesting. And and they wanted, and, and they wanted too much control, which was, well, that was the main thing. Yeah. That that yeah. that was the main thing at the time, but I find it interesting because I, you know, just from a consumer perspective, we had a, a Volkswagen car that had you know like their sport engine in it, sport mm-hmm. engine and transmission, the the biggest engine they ever they put in a Volkswagen at the time, but that same motor was in. Uh, at least one Porsche model that I'm aware of, and it was in some Audi models that I'm aware of. Interesting. So, so in the consumer world, they do share power power units and transmissions between the three marquees. Interesting. So, and I didn't know if that would. Of course, that doesn't mean you know we're not running consumer production engines in Formula One in any way, shape, right, or form. Right. <laughs> Even yeah. Ferrari isn't. I think they that company also owns Bentley, and I think there oh, was yeah. one engine at one point in time maybe multiples i don't remember but i seem to remember something from an old top gear episode where there was a bentley engine that was put in a volkswagen or something i don't but well bentley i don't know that bentley even made their own motors for sure they might oh you know you might be right because they're they were owned by rolls royce for a time and they might have used those engines which actually have a lot of gm parts in them believe it or not right right so (laughs) Wow. But yeah, the but anyway, who knows? Interesting. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, so there were three different car season launches from three different teams. Oh yes, yes. The well, were there? 
Yes, there was Haas, there was Red Bull, and there was Williams. Well, at least at least two of those are in quotes, but anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing, is like, we here's here's the thing that I will repeat probably every episode until the first round for the 2023 right. season. Right. We do not know what these cars are going to look like until qualifying in the first uh, the first race. Right. We will not know that. We won't know that even through preseason testing. We yeah. won't know that probably even in practice at the first race either. Mm. Though they might, we might, but that's, I that's think the thing to know in practice in, in Bahrain, but we probably will by then. then. <laughs> we probably will by then, but I'm not going to be yeah. sure of it until qualifying. All right. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So with that in mind, I did find it interesting because I was sitting there watching the Red Bull launch and then they yeah. showed their new car and I'm like, that looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> like, I don't notice a single except, except piece of difference. delivery. Yeah, the livery was slightly different, but <laughs> right, not not not. Yeah, that, and I didn't expect it to be you know majorly different. But yeah, no, it had been so long since I I saw a new Red Bull car. I go, ooh, it looks a little sleeker to me. <laughs> yeah, but it's like no, that's the same. Car. No, it's the same car. I think that's what Peter Windsor was talking about. He put out a video with him and Scarbs. He mentioned it too. Yeah, yeah, where they were just like, that's actually the same car. <laughs> So. Scarves was kind of annoyed because I think he was all ready to dissect the new, you know, car, but it's like, ah, it's the same darn car, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is typical. I don't even, that's why I don't get excited about the preseason, you know, when they're launching the new models, because it's like, I, I would, if they launched it without body work, then I'd be really interested, <laughs> but they're never going to do that. It's been this, this way point. for quite a few years now where basically yeah. they just are showing off the livery for that season. And like, that's kind of it. And the, and they should just say that they should just say, Hey, you know, here's our new colors for this. Yeah. Year. You know, that's, I, I could agree with that. Yeah. Colors. And then here, and you could buy the new coffee, the new uh, polo shirts and t-shirts yeah. and hoodies and, you know, jackets and coffee mugs with the new colors and leave it at that. So, yeah. you know, you can get all branded up in your favorite team and, <laughs> you know, that would be fine with me. So, yeah, so as far as what's underneath all that, yeah, that's, that's, they're not going to show that yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So other than Red Bull, there was Haas and Williams and Williams, I think again, was just a placeholder car. I think it was the it same was. car as last year. It and <laughs> I, I think the same thing for Haas as well, though I'm not a hundred percent on that. I'm not sure. I, I don't know for sure on Haas either, but Haas didn't. I like their livery for this year. Their livery is awesome. I yeah. love it. I <laughs> yeah, really like it. It really did look good. Yeah. So and uh, I like the Red Bull too. The Red Bull, it's, I'm actually not crazy about. I like their previous year livery better. I don't know. This one seemed to have more of a darker matte finish type, you know, kind of like what Ferrari did going from the bright red to the more matte red. Yeah, there was just more blue and less anything else on this Red Bull. And I, I don't, I don't know. It was like there's less going on and that's more boring to me. I don't know. I don't know. It was, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting though. I mean, it, it yeah. was, but it does make the other colors pop a little more. The, the orange and the red. So. True. I'm also not crazy about the Williams livery either. I think it's just fine. It's an iteration on their previous yeah. one. And I know that that's like their brand now that those colors, but yeah. it's just kind of, it's fine. It's, it's a livery. It's fine. I don't know. Yeah. But, no, I agree. Yes, I, I sometimes like the changes, sometimes don't, you know. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of the pink BWT cars, <laughs> the pink and white Force India cars, you know. Yeah, like... but the, the pink ones, I think, were better than the Alpine last year because that was like right. trying to marry that pink branding with the yeah. kind of blue and black branding from Alpine. And it yeah. just did not work. It was hideous. It was hideous to me. And so I'm hoping out of out of all of the cars this year that Alpine has something that doesn't make your eyes bleed. So well, that's I didn't see it quite that badly. But... <laughs> I am kind of joking, but it was. But, really yeah, bad. but, it you know, really I, even when it was full pink and white, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, it's like that just it looks so different than a Formula One car eh, to each their own, I guess. <laughs> So what I also wanted to mention was there was another regulatory change, but this was a reversal 
of a regulation that they had created for 2023. And I do find it interesting enough to bring this up. In fact, it's really interesting. Okay. So as anybody who listens to us knows or pays attention to the sport, the weight of the Formula One cars has been a huge consideration. It's almost like every time the regulations change, you know, the FIA changes regulations and they want the various, you know, like the electronic powering unit, the curves, this and that, Mm -hmm. DRS, the weight of the cars increases. In fact, and here's a trivia question for you. Do you want to guess how much heavier today's car is compared to the car of 10 years ago? Um, Now, Now, granted, that only takes us back to like 2013. Sure, sure. Do you have the approximate weight of the current day car? Yes. The current car weighs 798 kilograms. Uh, what is that in freedom units? <laughs> what is that in free weight <laughs> numbers? It's, okay, let's call it 800 times 2.2. So that's going to be um, uh, 1,680 pounds, about 1,700 pounds. Okay, 1,700 pounds. I'm going to say it's... A few hundred pounds more heavier. A few hundred pounds heavier. Yeah, a few hundred pounds, and I would say I'll guess three hundred pounds heavier. Well, you're pretty darn, you're pretty darn close, but you're still you still left a little on the table. Really, okay. it's 156 kilograms, which would make it about 350 pounds uh, heavier. Than okay, it was so even, I was close. You were close. So I was close. But it's even worse. Yeah, it's 350 pounds heavier than it was 10 years ago. Now, given that history, how the cars have increased by, and that's a lot of weight, folks, you know, when it comes to a racing car, especially when you're dealing with these kind of numbers. This is well under your passenger car. (laughs) Yeah. Um, These things are lightweight. And, And again... There are the heavier the car, the harder that they don't do well at tracks like Monaco at all. It makes it Mm -hmm. harder to pass in the narrow tracks, Mm -hmm. and they're more dangerous when they get in accidents. There's more weight at 200 miles an hour, for example, to dissipate. With each kilogram you add to the car, you're decreasing safety. Yeah, I would not want to see a crash between a, a 2022 car and a 2013 car. I would not want to see that. <laughs> no, no, no. Where the one runs into the other. Yeah, the yeah. twenty the 2013 car would be in worse shape. Chances yeah. are. Yeah. So given given this, the FIA decided to say, hey, we're going to allow you to remove, and if if you don't know the number, this is a trivia question, how much weight did they propose to take off this year from last year? Uh, I'm going to guess it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 30 to 40 pounds, something like. Well, that's what one would think, but it was actually only two kilograms, like what? basically four and a half pounds. That's nothing. And they reversed it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Which shows you the problem. Yeah. That shows you how this weight is such an issue. That yeah. they 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 only proposed a decrease of two kilograms. You know, that's four point four pounds. Four and a half pounds for us guys. And you wow. know, rounding here sort of. And and so that's you would think that's nothing, you know, but it was significant enough to the teams that they had to reverse it. <laughs> so they wow. they left it at 798 kilograms wow. in total. It's such a small percentage of the total weight. So that shows me that these cars have got to be made lighter, and it's not easy to do, and matching yeah. all the other regs. Now, just to throw this out there, <laughs> the one thing that would certainly make the cars lighter it was if they reversed their position on refueling. And I oh, happen yeah. to think that that might occur. They're going to have to take a more serious look at refueling as a premier way to reduce weight in the cars. Mm. Because if you don't have to start with a full load of fuel, it makes the cars safer, a la the Grosjean accident. Sure, yeah. And it makes them lighter, and which automatically makes them safer. So you're you're getting a safety in weight, weight reduction and a safety in the load of fuel that is potentially can go up in flames, which it's not supposed to do anymore, but it does, as we found out with Grosjean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I don't think, I think refueling always was for the most part safe. 
and it certainly refueling is done in other sports. It's still done in IndyCar, and you don't yeah. see a lot of pit fires anymore. And it's done in NASCAR, you know. And NASCAR runs a whole lot more cars; they run them every week. And yep. this is not like a constant issue. So it no. is it is doable. In fact, a pit fire in both Indy and NASCAR combined are extraordinarily rare, and, and they're usually very very minimal. Like some yeah. spilled some spilled. Uh, fuel on the car ignites when they're in the pits and the driver goes, don't worry about it. It'll go off when I'm at 100 miles an hour and it does. It just blows out, you know? <laughs> I think in one of them, I think it's Indy, they actually have this like chemical spray that they'll actually spray on the sure. nozzle where, where the, the fuel gets pumped in as the driver is pulling out. So they just spray that down so that it doesn't, you know, leak or catch on fire or anything. Yeah, it's probably just water. Anything that just kind of disperses yeah. the gas, yeah. Yeah. So, so. And, and they're running similar fuels in, in all the racing cars run very similar fuels, yeah. more similar than not. They're high octane fuels. So anyway, yeah, I, I think they, cause they could shrink the gas tank. I think it would be a lot safer. And now yeah. what it, what it brings back to the sport is another layer of strategy. That's why I miss it. Yeah. If, if they want more excitement in there, this seems like an only win, right? What is the negative for get, bringing back refueling? You, the cars are safer on, on multiple fronts, and the, the races end up being far more exciting than they currently are. And the, and the races always were limited to two hours, even when they had refueling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, I and you know what they, they're regulating the tires more this year. You know, like in Q one, Q two through Creek, you in Q one you have to run hard, in Q two you have to run medium, and in Q one you have to run soft. You you Weird. that's the new rule for twenty twenty three. So they're regulating. Huh, I actually like that on the surface. Yeah, they're like regulating tires more. So to me, it's like and but they still have the requirement to run two different compounds during the race. Sure. But it, but I I think why not refuel? And you know, I just think it's a good idea. And and yeah. it and it adds strategy cuz when do you refuel? You know, there might be mm -hmm. a yellow if you refuel under green, you know, it's a bigger penalty. Yeah. Do you want to start the race with a light load so you can make up a bunch of places and then pit for more fuel later or do you want to start with a heavy load and go long or it, yeah, yeah, see exactly. If you're in second place on the grid, you want to probably start really light. And yeah. depending on the track, if this track typically has, you know, a, you know, an, an incident in the first three or four corners, that's a strategy. You, you roll yeah. the dice and take a risk. Yeah. And so I love that because, and if you, and then, you know, but if that doesn't happen, like it doesn't always happen, uh, even at the most notorious track, sometimes they have really clean, you know, first five laps, you know, perfectly yeah. clean. Um, then you're going to have to come in on lap three or four or five to get fuel. And it's going to be like, Hey, it didn't pay off, you know? So it just, it, it's like rain, rain always brings in, I, that's kind of a, maybe that's a really good analogy to use mm. is that re, re, you know, rain makes a race more interesting and refueling doesn't for similar reasons. It just adds yeah. another layer of complexity. Yeah, when, when, when. I, yeah, I think I think they should do that. But if if they're so concerned about safety when refueling and, you know, fair enough, I think what they should do rather than outlawing it is just hire some engineering firm to be like, look, build us a way to refuel in which it fails safe. And is it, it's like almost impossible or as close to impossible as possible to <laughs> to for a fire to occur. Right. And then once that gets developed, then just use that. And, yep. you know. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing, circling back around to the car launches, uh, big news from Red Bull, the maybe the only big news so far, <laughs> is uh, they've partnered with Ford. And I don't know exactly what that partnership's going to look like, but it is interesting. And I find that they, I find it, most interesting that they partnered with Ford over Porsche and that it's a American company when Andretti is also trying to get in and they're an American brand. So I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts about the, the Red Bull Ford deal? Well, I, number one, I'm thrilled to see Ford return to the F1 world in any capacity. Yes. 
Yes. Um, it, and it's a, it's a great thing for Ford because like you said, Andretti is probably coming in with GM. So Ford now and, and F1 is growing in popularity in America. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that a, that a huge American automaker would want to be involved in Formula One again, mm-hmm. because it gives them all sorts of branding and marketing um avenues and so and with the new race in vegas this year ford can you know they could take advantage of that i think it's great i think it's going to grow ford's brand and and they they have a massive history in formula one and so Mm -hmm. you know i just think that you know that that's really good i did hear some speculation that is around this that's interesting and that is that ford is has committed you know, to building a larger percentage of electronic vehicles going forward, you know, that mm-hmm. they've, they're, they're trying to embrace that. And it may just be that, uh, Red Bull is wanting to position themselves to take advantage of that aspect of things more than the internal combustion engine aspect. Oh, interesting. So that is a potential speculative thing. Cause that would allow, uh, Red Bull to focus on the you know primary internal combustion engine and then in sort of lean to forward mm-hmm. go, going down the road for the for the electronic side. Interesting, um, yeah, because that you know that may be a way to leverage both because again there's two different power units in these cars and that's not going to change anytime soon. So um, so that that's one aspect of it. But other than that. Yeah, you know, Ford had to agree that they're that they're going to let Red Bull run it. Yes, because yeah. that's why Red Bull Porsche wanted to be in control of it. You know, if we're going to put our name on it, we want control. And then, and that was right. like, no, that was the deal breaker for Red Bull. Yeah. So yeah, so it has to be something better than that or different. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I think it is smart with uh, for Red Bull to partner with an American brand because in the Americas or at least North America. Red Bull is probably the most popular team, not only because of the energy drink side of things and Red Bull is very common over here, but also like you've got Checo from Mexico and I don't know, there just seems to be a a bigger fan base in North America for Red Bull than in Europe. Okay, And so I think that's that's smart for them to partner with Ford on that. But I think my biggest question, like I was watching that launch and then I was like, Wait, why are they partnering with Ford and not Honda? They've got all this history and really good will between Red Bull and Honda. Yeah. And I don't know. It just seems weird to me that they, especially because Honda recently was like, yeah, we're actually committed. We're going to stay in F1. And now I'm just like, why Why are they not? Why is Red Bull not doing that with them? I, I don't know. Well, to me, it made perfect sense. And here's why. Honda said they want to remain in F1. Red Bull doesn't want to give control. They just want help, ah, and so I think that's that's where you see the that's where you see the break right there. I gotcha. Okay, that does make sense then. As I think Honda wants to be an engine supplier, you know, to Formula One as they were for so long to yeah. Indy cars and things. And so, then yeah. Ford is much more aligned with the yeah, we're happy to help you. We don't want to produce the whole thing. Right, because they they have they're a big company. They can afford to put up you know sure. a whole bunch of money to help Red Bull get you know get their engineering efforts going. Sure, and perhaps like I said, they can focus on the EV side, you know, and that will help Red Bull down the road. Okay, suddenly that makes a lot more sense. Then okay. there you go. There you go. Okay. Now this also leads this merger leads me into some hot seat questions I have for you. Oh boy! <laughs> I know I'm officially in the hot seat this this time, or was supposed to be. That's all but, right. But anyway, but this time I'm just gonna put you back in it for now. So <laughs> all right, all right, okay. All right. What you and got? this and this is regards, and you and don't be googling this, or I'm gonna smack you. I'll know from here. <laughs> Subtly opens up a tab. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> okay, so off the top of your head, what year do you think Ford first? got involved in Formula One. Okay, see, I actually was going to mention something about this in that it is funny to me that it's Red Bull of all of the teams partnering with Ford because Red Bull bought Jaguar, which was a Ford-owned team. Yeah. So I think that's pretty funny. So at the very least, I'm going to say 2000 because that's, I think it was 2000, it might have been 99, when Jaguar first came in. 
Mm. However, I'm just going to take a wild guess and say they probably were affiliated earlier than that. And I'm just stabbing the dark sometime in the early 80s is probably what I'll guess. 1967. Darn, I was off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ford Ford has been involved in Formula One since 1967. That is actually surprising. Okay, second question. Oh, no. <laughs> if you if you take all the Formula One championships and you look at the teams like the constructor title, driver titles, where do you think Ford ranks for Ford power plants in, in as far as the championship series? Championships? Yeah, yeah, the championship. Like whoever won the Formula One championship during the time that they were with Formula One from 1967 until when they left – you know, okay. assuming there were any cars that, you know, and there's only so many engine manufacturers that have created engines for Formula One, but there's been a few. There's been Cosworth and there's been, you know, lots and lots. So wh- where do you think they are in the ranking of Formula One championships by engine manufacturer? So here's where I think I might know more about this than you thought I did. Okay. And I remember seeing a stat that Ford had the second most race wins by engine menu by engine race wins so the car that won the race had that engine and i think they were it was ferrari that was number one and then ford and then mercedes though actually it might have been a swap between it might have been ferrari mercedes then ford either way they were in the top three and so i'm gonna guess championships i'm gonna guess number two maybe maybe number three they were third. You're Googling. I know you are. I am not Googling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure you're not. Okay. I'm, not. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> so, yeah, they're third, and I am surprised that you knew that. That's good, yeah. though. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. 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 That is pretty cool, though. Like, I never would have guessed that had I not seen the stat, because that is pretty wild. Okay, so how many Constructors Championships had Ford Motors? Take a guess at that number. Uh, well, honestly, I don't really know what to guess. I'm going to say somewhere around a dozen championships. I I really don't know. Well, you're close. They had 10. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 10 constructor championships. That's actually pretty cool. Now here's, here's a different number. How many driver championships involved Ford power cars? Uh, It's a different number. It is. I'm going to say also in the ballpark of a dozen, maybe up to like 15. Well, excellent. You're at the 13. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, you're doing well. Now, when was okay. the last year that Ford was involved in Formula One? This, I... Up until oh. up until when they get they got back in now, or they have an agreement. But when was yeah. the last year they were there? We they In other words, they came in in 67, and then they left, and now they're coming back. When did they leave? Well, I am going to go with the Jaguar team as my answer, even though it's possible they had some kind of sponsorship affiliation after that but i don't know of that so i'm going to say when red bull bought jaguar so the previous year would have been 04 i think so i'm gonna guess 04 you got it 2004 i'm surprised (laughs) let's go you did well you did well nephew very very well (laughs) yeah random useless trivia is something that actually interests me (laughs) (laughs) you did better than i thought you would i'm impressed i can't always cite my sources but i do know a lot of things (laughs) it doesn't matter as long as you get the information yeah see like look if i if i knew how i knew everything that i know then I could only know half as much. So, well, as you know. as as we always say, we're not industry insiders; we're super fans, and, exactly. we, and we know way too much about it. But we yes. may not know all the details. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, we, Peter Windsor, we are not or Scarbs, but we are we are we are you know knowledgeable fans, and we love the sport. That's Absolutely. all we can say with assurance. <laughs> yep. Cool. All right. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. There you go. Alrighty, so I guess that'll do it for today. We will be back in one week's time where we'll probably be talking about more of the season launches as well as some other topics that will probably make themselves known during the week. So until then, thanks so much for listening and take care of yourselves.